If you want to open your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And we're continuing a sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Devoted. And in this sermon series, we're looking at the early church as it started outside of Jerusalem at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come and when the apostles that were in Jerusalem started to gather Christians and believers of Christ and and they were really gathered, they started to live together out in what we would refer to as maybe a tent city outside of Jerusalem. And we see the Christians that start to devote themselves to the church and to devote themselves to the behaviors and the ideas that become the founding benchmarks of our faith. There are so many churches, even in the New Testament, that were planted when Paul went out and when when the other apostles went out from Jerusalem that were planted and started using these bits of devotion as their building blocks for a church. And that's why we're in this sermon series is as we work through this, we're looking at the things, we're looking at the aspects of the early church, the biblical example of how churches start and incorporating those into our church and how we start. Let's face it, the Bible wouldn't have given us this instruction if God didn't want us to follow it. Amen? So that's why we're following these rules that are given to us in the New Testament. Over the last four weeks, we have talked about Keeping the main thing the main thing. Our overall message was being devoted to Jesus and being devoted to his message. And then we saw that the early believers, the early church was devoted to fellowship. Being devoted to fellowship meant that they had to be there, that they were actually part of the church and active and they were there and and they showed up on Sundays and, and, and they lived together. And then we saw that there was a devotion to service that the church and the members of the church actually would serve each other. They would also serve other people in the town. They would serve other communities. Service was a deep part of their devotion. Last week we looked at, we looked at the first church's devotion to obedience. And it's an area that sometimes in our modern culture we can see as somewhat difficult to obey all the rules that Christ has given us. Like, our world likes to pick apart the Bible, take what it likes, and leave the rest. Our world likes to say, oh, don't judge, throw away the rest and walk away on two words out of Scripture. That's what it likes to do, but Jesus told us more than that, right? He's given us a lot of direction. This morning, we're going to be looking at Another area of devotion that the early church had made part of their being, had made part of their identity, and they did this because it was a command, because Christ told them to. I'm going to come to 1 Corinthians in just a moment, but one of the verses that is the backbone for this entire series comes out of the book of Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, which reads, They devoted themselves, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This verse shows the attributes of Bible study, of fellowship, of prayer, and of breaking of bread. These have all been benchmarks since this original church in about 33 AD. Like this is, we're talking within months of the crucifixion. This church started. And these were attributes that have been part of biblical churches ever since. This morning, we're going to focus on this devotion that became part of this early church and taught by the apostles. And it's what we have become and we have referred to as the Lord's Supper. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be reading in verses 17 through 26 in a message that I have titled, The Bread and the Cup. This is a reference to this meal that the disciples, as they would have been referred to there, disciples and apostles, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably a little bit today because we're talking about two different times. We're talking about the same people, but, but while Christ is alive, we're referring to them as disciples. They are learning under Christ. Once Christ sends them out, now they're referred to as apostles. Same people, different title, because Christ is here or Christ is not. The apostles are taking the word out. That means to be a messenger. Disciple is someone learning. So same people when I use these terms interchangeably, okay? So we're referring to the supper that Jesus had with the disciples, and this was this was hours before he was arrested and his trial and his death. It's the ceremony of the bread and the wine that, that we have come to call the Lord's Supper, as it's referred to in 1 Corinthians 11.20, or the breaking of bread. And we see that reference in Acts 2.42. We see it in 2.46. We also see it in chapter 20, verse 7. Or maybe it's referred to as the Holy Communion. And we see that expression in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, or maybe you've heard of it being referred to as the Eucharist, which is simply the Greek word for thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul speaks of what he had received from the Lord concerning this institution of this supper on the night when he was betrayed, when Jesus was betrayed. And, and Luke and like Luke, Paul gives this command to his disciples. Paul is repeating what Christ has told him. And, and Luke is repeating what he has learned as well. And Christ says to do this in remembrance of me. According to Acts 2, the early Christians from the beginning of the life of the church, they met regularly for the breaking of bread. It was part of worship. From the very first church to all of the churches that were planted all over the globe, all over this region, Paul and the other apostles at this point, they taught the churches the deep meaning of the Lord's Supper. It was very important, and it was... It was something that came with a massive amount of reverence. We have one of those examples in the church in Corinth. Paul was in the city of Corinth. It's a port city. There's actually in Corinth, 
there's a lot of boats that come in in both sides of the town. So you had a lot of people. It was a, a very transient type city. P boats would come in one side and there was about a mile strip before you got to the other side and boats would come in and people would take the cargo from the boats, walk it about a mile to the other port and the boat, the cargo would leave again. So you had a lot of sailors, you had a lot of travelers that would come in. And during Paul's second missionary journey, he was in Corinth and he met a couple and we see this story in Acts 18. He had met a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila were also Jews. They were also tent makers. And they had been pushed out of Rome. And they met Paul in Corinth. And Paul is starting a church in Corinth. Just like he does everywhere he goes. He's bringing believers. He's bringing people. People who, who know of the Jewish faith. They know the Messiah is coming. And Greeks. And he's telling them about Jesus and starting churches. And that's something that Paul did in Corinth, just like he did in many, many other churches around the area. Paul had this, he was first in Corinth at about the year 50 AD, okay? So a little timeline for you. We know that Christ was crucified about 33. Paul gets to Corinth, second missionary journey at about 50. Then Paul went on to Ephesus and went on to Syria and started his third missionary journey. Somewhere about the year 55, about five years later, we see that Paul is starting to write letters back to this church in Corinth. These letters are what we refer to as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We do know that Paul has written more letters than this, but we have copies of the letters that Paul has written back to the church that he had started a while back, and he's teaching them some things that they got off track. And specifically, he spends time focused on the Lord's Supper. It's a conversation that Paul really needs to have with them because he's, he's saying that they're, they're having issues with this sacrament. They're having issues with this command. It's obvious that the practice of the Lord's Supper, it, that it's so important to Paul that he needs to correct it because it's being mismanaged at the church in Corinth. If you read with me in 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 11, verse number 17. Paul writes this. He writes, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, for those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one of you is taking his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. says, what? Do you not have your own houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. What Paul is saying is he's noticed that this Lord's Supper has been taken offensively out of context. And he says, the way you guys are doing this, it's really causing more harm than good. It's not, you're not taking this the way that you're supposed to be. 
You're not doing it for the right reasons. He says, I hear that when you come together, there's arguments among you. I hear that, that you're breaking off into your own tribes and you're going to your own corners of the churches or, or maybe you are... Uh, you know, maybe you're breaking off with the, the people who have money over here and the privilege and, and you're, you're not giving any, any credence to anyone who's the poor among you. And it says, all you're doing is coming to eat. You're just eating and you're leaving. And some of you even show up drunk. Like that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. He says, you know what? If you're coming because you're hungry, go eat at home. This isn't where you come to eat because you're hungry. This is where you come to eat to remember what Jesus did for you. This is where we come in reverence. He says, shall I praise you? You say, you're, you say oh, we're taking the Lord's Supper. But I get this word that... All you're doing is coming around the church, you're eating, drinking, some of you are drunk. Should, should I congratulate you for that? Should I give you a blue ribbon? No, uh-uh. That's what he's telling them. But what he does next is he's going to correct it. See, this church had forgotten the real reason that they were coming together to break bread. See, the apostles had a deep devotion to obedience. We talked about that last week. A deep devotion. And it had to be taught to other people. We can't expect people to automatically have a devotion to being obedient to Christ. Christ expects that devotion, but it's our job. We are the hands and feet of Christ, right? It is our job to teach others. But the devotion of the apostles, it was so deep that they had to let others know that they had to be following the rules that Jesus laid down for them. And in doing so, they had to keep the Lord's Supper, and they had to keep the Lord's Supper the way that Christ had intended it. Point number one in your notes this morning. Jesus... His sacrifice and its implications are the objects of the remembrance for believers. Jesus and his sacrifice is why we take the Lord's Supper. It, those, those are the implications. Those are the objects that we are remembering with the Lord's Supper. We're not just coming together to eat. We're coming together to Remember, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the historical background for the establishment of the Lord's Supper. It's, we see this feast in, or, or we see the original implications of this in the book of Exodus, Exodus 12. Exodus 12 shows us the final chapter of the plagues that the Lord had brought down upon Egypt. There was the, the plague here. It's the plague of judgment of the firstborn. This was the last of the plagues before the Israelites were to leave Egypt. And during this plague, what, is, what has happened is the angel of the Lord has, has told the, the Hebrews at the time, he said, this plague is coming, 
and you're going to put blood from a sacrificed lamb over the doorframe of your house and eat this Passover meal as, as prescribed. And what's going to happen is the angel of the Lord, when he comes through with this plague and he's going to take out, he is going to kill and destroy the firstborn. When he comes by your home and he sees the, the blood of, of the lamb over your doorframe, he is going to pass over your home. See, when Jesus gave what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or his last supper, he gave it right before Passover. It was a Passover feast that they were gathered for. It was a Jewish remembrance. It was remembering the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant that God had made. God had told them, keep my commandments. These were his commandments. He had put a, he had put a festival in place. And he said, we eat the Passover meal. What Christ did is he says, I am the new covenant. And this is now how we take this meal. We take this meal in remembrance of me. It's not in remembrance of the Passover. It's not in remembrance of a lamb. It's not in remembrance of the angel of death or the plagues. Our remembrance is coming to Jesus. That is our focus. As Jesus' disciples watched him and listened to his words during Passover that evening when he gave this meal the first time, they would have understood that historical significance of what Christ was doing. What they didn't fully understand. They didn't fully understand until after his crucifixion. They didn't know exactly what he meant when he says, this is my blood given for you. They didn't understand that. Not until after his crucifixion, they didn't understand when he said, this is my body given for you. It would only be a few days and then they would understand exactly what he was talking about. There's many shopping malls around the United States and around the world, and a lot of shopping malls have a store inside that's called Things Remembered. Have you ever been in and seen a Things Remembered store inside a mall? So this type of a store has all kinds of little um, items that can be engraved. It might be a trophy, it might be a, a clock, it might be a picture frame, it might be a what? A globe? A fountain pen? So uh, Kelly at one point got me a little thing that you put business cards in that opens and you can engrave it. But what, what this is, things remembered will engrave items and these items are given, they're typically gifts that are given to people to help remember a special moment. Maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an anniversary, maybe it is a, a new job or a retirement. But there's something special behind the gift. There's a happy times, a significant event. Just these memories are precious. And somebody has said, it's important enough for me to give you an item to remember this special event by. 
That's really, in a way, what Christ has done for us. He has said, this is an event. This is an action that I want you to take and remember me by this. He says, I know that you can pray and I know that, that you can sing and I know that you can show up in church, but I want you individually to take part in this act and remember me and remember my time on the cross and remember why I came at Christmas, sometimes we will, maybe somebody will read the Christmas story at home. Honestly, that doesn't happen as much anymore. Sometimes it's even hard to remember why we celebrate Christmas on Christmas. But for those who still do, that's a time when we think about a child in a fluffy manger of hay, surrounded by animals that are clean and quiet and it's not really how the first Christmas was, but it's a time to remember. And on Easter morning, we come and, and we put on pastels in our Sunday best, and we come maybe to a sunrise service, and we sing some songs, and then we go and, and eat a meal. But Christ says, no, I want this moment to be an individual moment where you remember me. See, the God who acted in history to deliver his people Israel into the promised land has also acted to deliver you and I. He's also acted to, to save us. The, the, the bread and the juice, they're not the real blood of Christ. They're not the real body of Christ. They are, they are an, an item that causes us to remember what Jesus did for us, that he did die in real life. He did suffer real pain. It was a real event in history. It was a real event at a place. And it hurt. And his flesh was torn and it hurt. And he could have walked away. He could have just broken the chains and walked away, but he didn't. And it hurt. But he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Amen? Amen. He did it for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives instructions concerning the Lord's Supper. And in doing it, reminds the Corinthians and the Christians of two things. That their personal salvation in Christ is and that participation in the supper carries inward and outward inwardly participants who are taking the lord's supper were to examine ourselves spiritually and outwardly we are proclaiming christ and his death until he returns we're proclaiming that he is our savior until he returns we are claiming yes he died on the cross and we proclaim that outwardly, but internally we are examining. 1 Corinthians 11, we're in chapter, we're in verse number 27. And Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
Verse number 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Point number two in your notes this morning. We ought to examine our hearts before we eat and drink. We ought to examine our hearts before we eat and drink. We are asked to examine our own hearts first because, see, Christ sees our heart, right? Christ knows. And Christ wants us to see us the way he sees us. He wants us to see our sin. Because, see, we can't correct our sin if we don't recognize it, right? He wants us to see that and examine that and know when we're coming to take the Lord's Supper that we are coming to take it in holiness. We're coming to take it in reverence. We're coming to take it in thanksgiving. He wants us to see. He wants us to see what he sees. What is it that we haven't brought to him to ask forgiveness for? Because he knows what that is. He says, I want you to take this time. Come to me. Come close to me. Really close to me. And examine. This is a big deal. By taking the Lord's Supper, we should have this personal moment with Christ when we're remembering exactly what he did for us. It's the moment that we take communion that we need to realize that it's a moment that we should be in our deepest reverence. It's, it's when we're standing before Christ naked and scared and thankful and humble and we're deep in an exploratory position that shows us what we're lacking and it shows us and reminds us that Christ died for our sins and that Christ is here for us but he is asking for our obedience. Our obedience isn't our salvation. We're saved through faith by grace, but he does ask of us. It's a time when we're to be thankful for his sacrifice, that we don't take our salvation for, for granted, that we remember that, that yes, we're saved, but we don't have a license to sin, right? Just because we know as believers, as, as confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're going to spend eternity with him. But that doesn't give us a license to sin. That gives us a deeper responsibility for obedience. I can't think of any meal in our traditional Western culture, even any meal in the entire world that is so important as this. In our Protestant churches, typically we eat a piece of unleavened bread and a, and a small swallow of grape juice. It's not enough to hardly register any calories. But this meal is massively important. It is probably the most important meal of your life. It's more important than breakfast, I promise. 
Think about our traditional meals. Some of us are going to gather around a table around Thanksgiving and we're going to spend some time eating. Some of us are going to maybe have a traditional uh, plate of corned beef and cabbage on St. Patrick's Day, right? Maybe somebody has a big bucket or a big bowl of boneless wings around the Super Bowl. Maybe you've got a honey-baked ham on Easter Sunday. Those are, those are important meals. He's with me. Those are really important meals, but those are not as important of a meal as this. None of those other meals are in the Bible. There is no other meal that God says, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't even talk about any other meal. He gives us some instructions on foods but he doesn't give us any other instruction on a meal. Our Lord's Supper, it might be so small, but the meaning is so powerful. There is nothing small about a piece of bread that represents his flesh. There is nothing small about a swallow of juice that represents the blood that he shed for us, the blood that was going down his head and falling onto the dirt road. There is nothing small about the individual act that we participate in that symbolizes our connection to Christ. But this act that we do individually it is a time when we come in front of Christ, everyone here, but it's not an act that we are to do alone. Point number three in your notes this morning, when we take the Lord's Supper, we take it together. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take it together. The Lord's Supper, it's an act of gathered family of those who believe in Jesus. It's an act of the church. This is not an act for unbelievers. This is solely an act for people who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Unbelievers can be present, absolutely. If there's anyone here who has not taken Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so in a few moments. But if there's unbelievers, you can be here with us. But this service, it is for people who have come to Christ. There's no secrecy in this service. There's no secrecy in this meal. It's done in public. It has a public meaning. There's no cultural rituals. There's no magic to it. It's an act of public worship in a gathered church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11.26, Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's this proclamation aspect to it, right? When it says you proclaim, you can't proclaim something to somebody who's not there, right? When you proclaim, you're saying something, you are agreeing with something, you're telling others, you're saying, yes, I am agreeing with this, I am proclaiming this, but to be able to do so requires somebody to be there, correct? You can't privately proclaim something and expect anyone to notice. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is for Jesus to be noticed 
Amen? We don't forbid the Lord's Supper from being taken from people who are alone, maybe in a hospital or a nursing home. But those kind of individual celebrations, those are not the norm. Sometimes we have to. But the norm is coming together. Verse number 17, this is 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Paul speaks of the church coming together when the Lord's Supper is eaten. Um, it, it says when you come together, it's not for the better or for worse. But it's for the, the worst. We just read that a minute ago. He says, when you come together, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there's divisions among you. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. He's still scolding him, them. We read this earlier. Verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In other words, they're describing the Lord's Supper by connecting it closely to a regular supper. They're connecting it closely to the church coming together. And that's what Paul is telling them. He says... If you're just eating supper, eat at your own home. Go and do that at home. But come together when we're going to take communion. Come together when we're going to honor the Lord. And notice the word church in verse 18. When you come together as a church, the church is the body of believers. It is those who have turned from idols and trusted Jesus alone as the forgiveness of their sins and for the hope of eternal life. So the participants in the Lord's Supper are gathered believers in Jesus. As a young church, we are pledging our devotion to Jesus. We're pledging our devotion to coming and examining ourselves when we partake in the Lord's Supper. Starting in October... We're actually going to make the Lord's Supper a part of our regular occurrence. We will, we will have the elements here on the first Sunday of every month, starting in October. We're going to partake here in a moment. But it will be something that's a regular part of our church. This is actually the first time that we're taking communion together as a church. It is. It's a... It is our first time that we're taking communion as a church. And it's part of our devotion. We are a church devoted to Christ. We are a church that is devoted to fellowship. We're a church devoted to service. We're a church devoted to obedience. And today we've studied we're a church that is devoted to breaking bread together. And remembering our Lord and Savior and what he did for us. Remembering that his sacrifice is why we do this. It's why we come together. It's why we take the bread and the cup. It's remembering to take those moments and examine ourselves before we eat and before we drink. And it's remembering that being here and taking the Lord's Supper together it is, it is following 
in our devotion to obedience. We're, we're told to do this in remembrance of Christ. We want to be a church that builds this into our culture. Everything that we're going through in this series called Devoted, every point, fellowship, service, devoted to Christ and his message, to, to, to um, obedience, to the Lord's Supper, all of these points all the way through this series is building culture of our church. This is now an official part of our culture of our church is coming together and taking the bread and taking the cup and taking communion as we remember Christ together. I'm going to ask John and Anofri. Oh no. I'm going to ask John and Anofri if they would if they would come and I'm going to pray in a moment. And if they would pass the elements, and I'm just going to show you really quickly. Um, yeah, that would be great. John's going to go and get the kids and get Honey Bear. You'll see in a moment, these are our communion cups. And, and it's just a, it is a peel open. Um, and when, when you're done with this, we'll, uh, the plastic can go back here into into the trash can, but everything is right here. The the um, John's going to bring them. I'd ask you to take a moment, and I'm just going to ask for everyone to just to bow their heads for a moment. I would ask you for this time of personal examination. This is a moment when Christ wants to connect with us. And it is a time when we examine ourselves coming before Christ. Lord, I ask you to I ask you to see our hearts. And as everyone here looks and examines our own heart and, and sees what it is that we need to bring to you for forgiveness and what we need to bring to you for strength, Lord, I ask that you'll touch our hearts with those attributes of your mercy and your grace that will bring us closer to you in obedience. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, we praise your name. And, and, and without you, there is no hope. And we're thankful for the hope. We come together today to partake in this command that you have given us. And Lord, as we pass the elements and before we take the bread lord i ask for you to examine our hearts as we examine them ourselves john and anofri are going to pass the they're going to pass the elements as, as daniel plays behind me and i would ask you just to take one and if you will hold if you will hold on to it and we're going to partake together
can, um, can, Sammy, come here. Here you go. Daniel. Um, John, can I get one of those? Thank you. This is a this is a convenient communion uh, cup of sorts, and I would ask you to peel back this. Um, I would ask you to peel back the first part. And Paul wrote that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I thank you for this bread. I thank you for your body that was shed for us, Lord. I give thanks for this that you have provided and the gift that you have given us. In your name I pray, amen. Let's take of the bread. If you're six years old and you've just eaten that, you've said, that really doesn't taste very good. I know that. If you're careful with this as you peel this back. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you Drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, I pray and I thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross. And I thank you that it is your blood that covers our sins. And that without your blood, we have no hope. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. In your name we pray. Amen. And let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As a church, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes. Amen? Amen.